convenient collection. Only $2.99 or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Search for Blood Tingling Tales Complete Series on Amazon or go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood Maniac on the Loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. Creepy Doll The Shopkeeper I'm a 69-year-old man and I own an antique shop. We sell just about anything, furniture, collectibles, signs, any old vintage items. A lot of oddities have passed through the doors of my shop over the years, but the one that stands out above the rest is a creepy doll. I was opening shop one morning. I usually enter through the back entrance. Once I'm ready for the shop to open, I unlock the front door. On this day, as I approached the back door to enter my shop, I noticed something unusual next to it. Now, it's not uncommon for people to donate things to my shop that they no longer want, and sometimes they'll just lay whatever it is by the door after hours. Quite frankly, most of it is garbage that belongs in a dumpster. But this was different. It was an old doll. The doll was propped up against the door, giving the appearance that she was standing on her own and her gaze was fixed on me. As I got closer, I could tell that even though the doll was old, it was in relatively decent shape. The doll was dressed in a dark blue dress with a white lace collar. The doll's face and hands were antique white, which gave her a ghostly appearance and highlighted her long, curly, dark red hair that ended at the middle of her back. I picked up the doll and looked at her face. There was something sad about her expression. The most notable aspect of her features was her eyes. One eye was sharp and clean, extremely realistic. The other eye had a slight fogginess to it and was slightly off-kilter. If this were a human we were talking about, it would be described as a lazy eye. The doll was ancient, unusual, and quite striking. I thought it would be a great fit for my shop, so I took her in and positioned her on a shelf behind the register so everyone can see. This was the type of item I knew somebody would fall in love with fast, so I didn't expect her to last long. After I placed the doll on the shelf, bells jingled in the back of the store, indicating that my employee Roberto had arrived. As I tidied up the store, Roberto checked the register to make sure we had enough cash for the day and noticed our new arrival. That is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. 
She's not creepy, she's unusual. No, she's creepy. We opened up and I was at the far end of the store answering some questions from a customer. When I turned around, I noticed the doll standing on top of an old dresser behind me. This was a good 100 feet or so from the register where I had placed the doll. I picked up the doll and walked back to the register and asked Roberto if he had moved it. No, I don't even want to touch that thing. I wanted to be certain, so I asked him more emphatically. So you're saying that you did not pick up this doll and carry it to the other side of the store? That's what I'm saying. I was a little perplexed. How did the doll get over there? I figured it had to have been a customer who picked it up with the intent to buy and then changed their mind and set it down. But customers usually don't just meander behind the counter. I brushed it off and went back to work. I was finishing up with a customer when I noticed a young girl standing in front of me. She was cute as a button, probably uh, 10 years old or so. She had dark brown hair that was tied in pigtails. Her jaw was dropped and her eyes were locked onto that doll. Like I said, I knew somebody would fall in love with it. I could see how taken she was with the doll, so I removed the doll from the shelf and handed it to her. I think you two were made for each other. The little girl rocked the doll a bit and looked up at me with a smile. How much? I told her I'd sell it to her for 15 bucks. I'll give you 10. A haggler at that age? I loved it and immediately gave in. Ten dollars it is. The little girl was beaming when she left the store, and I figured that would be the end of it, but it wasn't. The next day, the little girl returned with the doll. She was saddened, and her eyes were bloodshot. She had obviously been crying. She reluctantly handed the doll back to me. My mommy won't let me keep it. It was a sad sight. I gave the little girl her money back, and she left. I put the doll back up behind the register. The next morning when I came in, I noticed the doll was gone. I figured Roberto had probably sold it, but before I could ask him about it, the little girl came through the front door holding the doll. Thanks for bringing it back to me, but I can't keep it. My mom will be angry. I asked her what she was talking about. She told me that she went outside this morning and the doll was on her porch. I asked Roberto if he took the doll to the little girl's house. He shook his head. I told you I'm never touching that creepy thing. I couldn't explain what happened, but the whole thing was too weird for me. I didn't want any part of it. Keep it, I told the little girl. At first she objected because her mother wouldn't allow it. I told her that if the doll found its way back to her, she should keep it. If her mom didn't want her to have it, then she should hide it but keep the doll. Those two were obviously meant to be together. The little girl smiled at me and left with the doll. I never saw her or the doll ever again. Creepy doll, the little girl. I was 10 when this happened. Me, my mom, and my older sister all went to town to go shopping. My mom and my sister loved shopping for clothes, getting their nails done, and all that girly stuff. They always made me tag along even though I wasn't into that kind of thing like they were. 
As we were walking toward a clothing store, we passed an old antique store. I stopped and stared through the window. I loved antique shops. To me, it was like stepping back in time. It was fun handling all those old objects, wondering what kind of stories they would tell if they could talk. My mom agreed to let me go into the antique store as long as I wasn't gone too long. I stepped inside and was looking forward to wandering through the aisles of ancient wonders. But I froze when I saw her. The doll. She was beautiful. I felt like I was floating as I approached her, mesmerized by her eyes. There was something sad about her, but I was sure that I could bring her happiness. I think you two were made for each other. That's what the old man said as he handed her to me. And he was correct. I wanted her and I was going to have her no matter what. The man offered her to me for $15. I had been saving up my allowance for a long time. I would have been happy to pay double that price. But part of the fun of antique shopping is the art of negotiation. I talked him down to $10. Right from the start, there was something about my doll that my mom didn't like. I think it was the doll's lazy eye. My mom thought it was scary. I thought it was unique and beautiful. This doll needed a special kind of love and care, and I had no doubt in my mind that I was the one to give that to her. The first day I carried the doll with me everywhere, even at the dinner table. In hindsight, that was probably a mistake. I shouldn't have overwhelmed my mom with the doll. Perhaps if I just kept her in my bedroom, at least at first, I could have gotten my mom used to the doll gradually. That night I put the doll in bed with me. That was the best night of sleep I have ever had. I felt safe with her near me. Protected. But that morning my mom was adamant that I return the doll. I asked her why. She said that during the night, she got up to go to the kitchen for a midnight snack. She said she saw the doll standing outside my bedroom door staring at her. She scolded me for putting the doll outside my door to guard my room. She said the doll was just too scary. The thing was, I didn't put the doll outside my bedroom door. I put the doll in bed with me, and when I woke up, she was still there. So I thought maybe my mom had had a nightmare. Either way, she was frightened and didn't want the doll in the house anymore, so I had to return her. It was difficult. I cried the entire way to the antique store. It was tough to hand her back to the shopkeeper. That night, I cried myself to sleep. The next morning, I woke up and stepped onto the front porch. My eyes lit up. There she was. The doll was sitting on one of the front porch stairs. I was so happy to see her. I picked her up and gave her a big hug. I assumed the old shopkeeper recognized how attached I had become to the doll and brought her back to me. It was good to see her again, but I had to give her back. My mom was too scared and I'd get in trouble if she thought I defied her by not returning the doll. I planned on asking the shopkeeper if he would keep her in his store and let me come visit her. That way mom wouldn't be scared and I could still see her from time to time. 
To my surprise, the shopkeeper and his employee insisted they did not bring the doll to my house, and I believed him because he had a baffled look about him. He insisted that I keep the doll. He said that if my mom didn't want me to have the doll, then I should hide it from her. I didn't need much persuading. I kept the doll. Today, I'm 58 years old. It is true that throughout my lifetime, people who wronged me often met with tragic ends. Did that have anything to do with my doll? Not that I'm aware of. And in case you're wondering, yes, I still have the doll. And I always will. Strange vacation. I'm a male. When I was in college, my buddy and I took a spring break vacation to Acapulco. The trip down there was uneventful with the exception of my friend getting a nice chuckle when I misunderstood the flight attendant when she gave me my food choices. I had the option of an omelette or crepes. For the life of me, I thought she said grapes. The chubby bald guy sitting in the aisle seat next to us thought that was kind of funny as well. Seriously, that was how uneventful the flight there was. That would all change once our plane landed. We booked our vacation through a travel agent that included a few perks, including a free shuttle to our hotel. Once we arrived at our hotel, we were to be greeted by someone from the travel agency who would give us a quick tour of the immediate area and provide us a list of different things to do in Acapulco. We felt that would be very helpful since neither of us had been there before. First, we had to obtain our luggage. When we got to the baggage claim area, we initially felt quite lucky as our luggage was first to come off the baggage carousel. When my friend reached down to grab his bag, we were both distracted by a woman standing next to us who was pointing in our direction and screaming in absolute terror. I was trying to decipher what she was saying when my friend yelled out in pain. I looked over to find him shaking his hand and cursing. Then I realized what the woman was screaming. Rat. There was a rat standing on his bag. We probably would have spotted it ourselves if the woman hadn't thrown a fit and confused us. As I watched the fat furry rodent scamper away, the chubby guy who was sitting in our aisle on the plane stopped by and said, That's a hell of a way to start a vacation. He pointed to the blood dripping from my friend's finger. It was only then that I realized he had been bitten. One of the airport employees rushed over to see what the fuss was about. He was a tall, distinct-looking man with light brown eyes, wavy black hair, and a handlebar mustache. He insisted that my friend get his rat bite treated. My friend waved him off, saying it was no big deal, and he'd clean it up at the hotel. 
The man was persistent and kept saying my friend might catch rat fever if he didn't have the wound disinfected immediately. We told the guy that we didn't have time, but he practically pushed us toward a dinky first aid area and assured us our shuttle would wait for us. The guy wiped the blood from my friend's finger, doused it with hydrogen peroxide and wrapped it up. We thanked him and went outside to our shuttle, only to find that it was gone. We were pissed, to say the least, and I guess it was pretty obvious because the man with the handlebar mustache rushed over and was extremely apologetic. He said he'd make it up to us by giving us the address to the most exclusive hideaway strip joint in all of Acapulco. He handed us the address on a scrap of paper and we took a cab to our hotel. By the time we made it to the hotel lobby, we had also missed the tour and list of things to do that was part of our vacation package, so we decided to just wing it. And being a couple of young, horny guys, we figured we'd make the most of missing out on these things by going to the elusive strip club we wouldn't have known about otherwise. In order to save a little money, we decided to walk to the strip joint. After walking a while, we realized that we traveled out of the safe touristy area near our hotel and happened upon more of a rural neighborhood. We passed by several houses that were boarded up and abandoned. It was getting dark and there were no street lights, so we were starting to feel uneasy. We were close to calling this off and turning back when we finally reached the street that the strip joint was supposed to be on. It sure didn't look like an area you would expect such an establishment to be. There was a large old metal industrial building and not much else. We started walking along the building assuming the strip joint had to be further up the road when we were startled by the loud rattle of a metal door quickly sliding open. It reminded me of something out of the movie Texas Chainsaw Massacre. As the doors slid open, a burly man wearing an executioner's hood and no shirt stood there. We asked him if this was the strip club. He nodded and stood back so we could enter. We stepped into the lobby of the club. The floor was covered in bright green shag carpet and the walls were draped in green velvet. Another bouncer with an executioner's hood stood by a door. Near the door was an average-looking woman next to a cash register. We paid her for entry to the club, and the bouncer opened the door and let us into the main portion of the building. We found ourselves in a large, pretty elaborate strip club. There was a huge stage in the middle and lots of booths. There were women stripping on stage and several doing table dances. There were TV monitors all throughout the room. We sat down in a booth and my friend snickered when he pointed out that the monitors were all showing a woman taking a shower. I told him to turn around. We both laughed as there was a huge shower behind my friend with an attractive woman in the midst of a wash. The video monitors were simply airing the live feed of her shower. The strip joint was what one would expect. There was nothing too unusual except for the attire of the bouncers and the woman in the shower. We had one of the women do a table dance for us. She was quite sexy. When her dance was over, she took on a meek persona and had a friendly conversation with us until someone else called her over to dance for them. 
Everything was fine and dandy until we tried to leave. We got up, headed for the exit door, but one of the bouncers blocked our path to the door. He said we couldn't leave until we showed him our tickets. We explained that we didn't have tickets, we just paid the entry fee and they let us in. He insisted that we needed to show him tickets or we couldn't leave. This was really strange. I heard of not letting people into a strip club, but not letting them out? Weird. As we argued with the bouncer, we noticed a man dressed up like a priest in the corner. He was talking to one of the bouncers and was pointing at us. That's when I realized it was the man from the airport with the handlebar mustache. We waved and called out to him hoping that if he recognized us, he'd help us out. Instead of acknowledging us, he motioned to the bouncer and pointed to a metal door at the far end of the room. Three bouncers then escorted us toward the door. As we passed by the man with the handlebar mustache, I overheard him saying something to the bouncer about my friend being the correct blood type. The bouncers led us to the gloomy metal door, opened it, and pushed us in. The room was empty except for a small wooden table in the center of it. There were two mugs of beer on the table. One of the bouncers pointed to the beer mugs. Free beer. Drink up. He then shut the door and locked us in the room. We couldn't believe what was happening and definitely weren't drinking that beer. We had no choice but to wait, but then I noticed a small window near the top of the wall. I thought it might be big enough for us to get out through. I pointed out the window to my friend. Let's get the hell out of here. I was able to hoist my friend up to the window. He undid the lock, opened it, and was able to slide through. I kept thinking that at any second a bunch of those bouncers and the man with the handlebar mustache were going to come through that door and get me. My friend, who was now outside, put his arm back through the window. I was able to jump up just high enough to get a hold of his forearm, and he pulled me up and through the window. We ran and kept running. We didn't feel safe until we finally reached the touristy section of town with the hotels. At that point, we slowed to a walk. We were getting close to a hotel when a lady of the night approached us. I just wanted to get back to our hotel and waved her off, but my friend decided to negotiate with her. Before I could tell him that this wasn't a good idea, a short police officer stepped up behind us. In this town, it's illegal to negotiate with hookers. I'm going to have to take you both to jail. The hooker dashed away and we pleaded with the cop to let us go. We told him our night had been bad enough and explained about our experience in the strip club. When we mentioned the man with the handlebar mustache, the cop's eyes widened. He told us that the man we described was a known human organ thief. He said if we had drank those beers, we would have woken up in a tub of ice with no kidneys. We were flipping out, so much so that we forgot that the cop was telling us he was about to take us to jail. Turns out, he just wanted a bribe. He said we could just pay him the $20 fine. We gave him the money so we could be done with this night and get back to our hotel. When we got to the hotel lobby, we ran into the chubby man from the airplane. 
He was in a jolly mood and holding a 12-pack of beer. Want to help me polish these off? Having a few beers with someone who seemed harmless enough was just what we needed, so the three of us went up to our room. Our room didn't have a mini-fridge, so my friend grabbed an ice bucket. The ice bucket wasn't close to being big enough for 12 beers, so I pulled the plastic bag from the wastebasket and we went to get ice together. The ice machine was on the floor below, but we weren't gone for more than 10 minutes. When we returned, the previously jolly chubby man was visibly bothered by something. We asked him what was wrong. He said that a couple minutes after we left, there was a knock on the door. He answered the door and said there was a man with a handlebar mustache standing there. Behind him were two men. He said one of the men had a rather intimidating knife clipped to his belt, and the other was holding a spool of parachute cord. He said the handlebar mustache man asked where we were. The chubby man told us that he had a feeling these guys were up to no good, so he played dumb and pretended that this was his room and he didn't know who they were talking about. He said the three men appeared disgruntled and left. That was enough vacation for us. We packed our things, took a cab to the airport, and were on the next flight out of there. The Sewer Man My name is Paul. I'm in my late 20s. I used to live in the upper apartment in the tallest building in the historic district of a medium-sized old town. It had a great view of a river and the main street. It was particularly cool when the town would have their annual parades and fireworks shows. I could watch them all from the comfort of my living room. It was a pretty fancy place, I certainly couldn't afford it under normal circumstances, but I knew the owners. They were planning on moving there themselves in six months. They were hoping to rent it out for those six months to help pay the mortgage on the building, so they said I could stay there for half the price they would normally charge until they were ready to move in themselves. I jumped at the chance. The place was awesome, I had a lot of good times there. One night, I was throwing a party. There was a girl named Sue that I was sweet on. I had been courting her for the past month, but no luck just yet. I was hoping maybe the semi-romantic view from my living room may help sway her. We stood there quite a while looking out over the town and the river. It was a starry night as well, so there was quite an ambiance going on. Then she pointed down the street and mentioned that I was very close to that manhole cover. I thought that was kind of an odd thing to mention. So what? What does that mean? She looked at me with a serious expression. The sewer man. I had no idea what she was talking about. What the hell is a sewer man? She shook her head. Not a sewer man. The sewer man. I shrugged because none of this was resonating with me. 
She smirked and called out to the rest of the people at the party, announcing that I had never heard of the Sewer Man. Everyone gathered around while she and a few other people there explained the legend of the Sewer Man. The urban legend goes something like this. During the Great Depression, food was scarce and some families could not afford to feed all of their children. Some parents would put their kids up for adoption, give them to orphanages, or even sell them. The sewer man was five years old and the youngest of seven children. He suffered from some kind of mental illness and was prone to extreme violence. Thus, they had no takers for him. Instead, his parents decided to eliminate him. One night, at exactly midnight, they removed a manhole cover near their home and threw him into the sewer. They left him there to die. Only he didn't. The sewer man learned to live in the sewer, using it as his sanctuary. Occasionally he will rise from the sewers to feed. He'll eat anything he can. Rats, dogs, cats, children, and sometimes adults. No matter who you are, you're never safe from the sewer man. It is said that if late at night you hear the metallic grind of a manhole cover moving, it is the sewer man coming topside, searching for the parents that left him to die. Legend has it that if you stand on top of a manhole cover, look down at it and say, Sewer man come home three times. The sewer man will assume you are his parents and come to your home. He'll arrive before midnight and knock three times on your door. If you answer, he'll assume you are one of his parents and kill you. I laughed after they told me. It was a fun urban legend that I had never heard before, but obviously it was nonsense. Sue insisted that it was true. She said she knew someone who tried it once. She said when she was in high school, a girl named Kathy Robson stood over a manhole cover and said, Sewer man, come home, three times. The next day, she didn't show up at school, and her parents didn't call in to alert the school that she wasn't coming in that day. She didn't show up the next day either, and still no word from her parents. A group of kids decided to stop by her house to see if she was okay. When they arrived, the front door was open. There was a large, dirty spot on the front of the door as if someone with a very dirty hand had knocked on it. Inside, the house was a shambles. Things were tossed about as though there had been a struggle. There were dirty footprints all over the house, and on the kitchen floor they found scratch marks and a broken fingernail, as though someone were clawing to hang on as they were being dragged away. Again, I was moved to laughter. Come on, that's utter nonsense. Several of the others at the party spoke up and confirmed that the story was true. 
One even said that her brother was one of the kids who went to the house that day, and they never found Kathy or her family. To this day, they are missing. I applauded everyone for an entertaining story, but remained skeptical. Then Sue spoke up. There's only one way to be sure. Do it. I dare you to do it. Part of me wanted to do it just to prove to everybody that this was just an urban legend with no validity. But part of me wanted to do it to impress Sue. Or at least prove to her that I wasn't too scared to do it. Someone pointed out that it was about 10.30, so if I was going to do it, I needed to do it soon so the sewer man would have enough time to get here before midnight. I was game, so the entire group of us went down to the street. Everyone was laughing and having a good time, until I stepped onto the manhole cover. Then a hush filled the night. Everyone appeared to be on pins and needles. Some people were even holding on to others' arms in suspense. I shook my head in defiance and looked down at the manhole cover. Sewer man, come home. Sewer man, come home. I took a long pause for dramatic effect and then finished it. Sewer man, come home. That was it. I did it. I looked up and everyone was staring at me in shock. They truly did not believe I was going through with it. One couple immediately got their car keys out, wished me good luck, and hurried away. The rest of us went back up to my apartment. I thought everyone would be having some fun with the fact that I actually did it. I was expecting a jovial mood and for the party to continue. I figured people would just forget about it now that the novelty of me actually doing it was over. But that wasn't the case at all. Everyone sat around. Nobody was saying a word. They were all so serious. Some people were worried. Some visibly scared. One by one, people started getting up and leaving the party. They believed it. They truly believed the urban legend and wanted to get out of there before the sewer man showed up. By 11.30, all of my guests had departed except for Sue. She said that since she was the one who got me into this, she'd stick it out with me. We didn't talk much. We mostly just sat there and watched the clock. I could feel her growing increasingly nervous as the clock got closer to midnight. I started thinking how great this turned out. Once the clock struck midnight, that would mean the sewer man wasn't coming. Sue would be nice and relaxed, relieved even, and we'd be alone. This was my shot. Sue was watching the clock in fear. I was watching it in excitement. Finally, the clock turned to 11.59 p.m., just 60 seconds until we could put this whole silly thing behind us and a knock at the door. It wasn't just a knock. It was a heavy thud, like someone hit it with a sledgehammer. Sue jumped out of her seat. It's the sewer man. I shook my head in disbelief. It can't be. Another knock. 
This one was even louder and more forceful than the first. I thought I heard wood splinter from the impact. I got up and approached the door. The light out in the hallway was on, and through the crack at the bottom of the door, I could see the brooding shadow of someone standing out there. I looked back at Sue. She was pale. Her hand was covering her mouth. In my mind, I just couldn't believe it. The sewer man could not be standing outside my door, waiting to drag me into the bowels of the city. This couldn't be happening. There had to be somebody from the party out there messing with me. That was the most logical conclusion. I stepped closer to the door. I knew at any second the deafening third knock would be upon us. It would be at this time that I would turn the knob to meet my fate. I took in a deep breath. I wouldn't let it out again until the door was open. I gripped the knob and prepared to turn it. I startled at the noise and almost turned the knob and opened the door, but I realized the noise was coming from behind me, and it wasn't a knock. It was the chime of the clock as it struck midnight. I looked at the crack under the door. The shadow was gone. I looked back at Sue. She was waiting anxiously for me to finally open the door. My hand was slick with sweat as I turned the doorknob and pulled the door open. There was nobody there. For a second, I was full of relief. Then the blood ran from my face when I saw it. In the center of the door was a gigantic, muddy spot. In the hallway were large, muddy footprints leading down the stairs. I don't know what was outside my door that night. Maybe it was one of my friends from the party having some fun. Maybe it was the sewer man. Regardless, that is one urban legend I will never mess with again. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Very soon.